Welcome to Talks News, a poor dumb rebellion podcast. have a couple of interesting we have a few uh, clips that we're just going to put up we could turn the lights a little bit lower i think you'll find them interesting and then we'll answer some questions i'll ask you some questions because you're so guilty but forget it uh but most importantly we're going to get back onto the reason we're here which is the success we're having okay uh please you could put it on <laughs> I didn't even know exactly what that clip was. I just saved it for no fucking reason. Oh man, that comes from Dumpert. Um, I, I guess I gotta give credit where credits due. Uh, on Twitter, Dev January twentieth. I guess it's at Island Girl Dev. Um, I that was a very well edited video. I thought it was something actually important. <laughs> oh boy. Um, catch it on the Twitter at as a wave, A Z A W A V. Oh my God. That's actually pretty funny. Oh boy. Well, when the music ends, the stream begins, talk streaming, Twitch, fuck the world. Wow. I thought that was actually going to be more important, but it was actually a video of Trump dancing to a video of Trump, uh, completely edited. So let's not get it twisted here. That was, <laughs> that was my bad um yeah and you also thought that this podcast would finally become organized well you're dead wrong because i am still extremely working class and short on time so oh boy just go to the the first episode that's how it started come to this episode this is how it's going oh boy so what are we going to open with today you've already read the uh title of the episode of the broadcast of the podcast what have you um but uh i guess we're just gonna have to start with what's trending because like i said i come absolutely unprepared unprofessional totally out there just fucking do it live o'reilly style uh without catching a single case of sexual harassment all o'reilly no harassment um, oh, where did it go? Keemstar was trending. Keemstar is kind of like a political, uh, face to Trump support. Where did he go? Uh, he was trending, but I guess he's not anymore. Uh, is that Parler? Are they still trying to get people into Parler? Keemstar looks like he's trying to get people into Parler. 
No, it's Snapchat. All right. Whew. All right. Uh, yep. Cash app giveaway. Uh, look, it doesn't look like he's actually trending for any other reason than the fact that he's trying to do a cash app $500 giveaway. So apparently he's just doing advertisement on his personality to get more people interested in him by giving away $500. All right, cool. We also have Melania Trump trending. Okay, Paso, what's up? Uh, Melania Trump celebrates arrival of annual White House Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, the lady who said, who gives a fuck about Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, on her, on her phone call with, uh, I think, Trump's niece or someone related to Trump and Ivanka was like, oh, they keep talking so much shit about my husband and I'm supposed to worry about the Christmas decorations. Who gives a fuck about Christmas? And now here she is pretending to give a fuck about Christmas yet again for the fourth year in a row. Third year? Third year, because she's only been floatist for three years. Uh, all right. General Motors drops support for Trump administration's legal efforts against California fuel economy, fuel economy rules. That's actually pretty big. That's actually pretty big. GM, who actually, uh, I feel like, was bailed out by the government pretty hard. Uh, they announced on Monday that it will no longer support the Trump administration and its legal efforts to end California's right to set its own clean air standards. Damn. Even General Motors was like, hey, we, uh, we, uh, believe in climate change. You know, we believe in the science. Uh, CEO Mary Barra said in a letter Monday to environmental groups that the company will pull out of the lawsuit and it urges other automakers to do the same. Barra also mentioned that the company agrees with President-elect Biden's plan to expand electric vehicle use. That's pretty big um, because Trump has always been touting how much manufacturing jobs he's been bringing in. And uh, General Motors, a uh, pretty big America first creator of cars, said, F you, Trump, we're uh, not trying to contribute to the problem. So that's that's got me all kinds of hot and bothered. That's pretty cool. Let's see here. Uh, I am also uploading Friday's episode, which I <laughs> did a horrible job uploading. Uh, honestly, I did a horrible job getting it done at all. I'm uh, uh, an extreme procrastinator, and I hope that at least makes it relatable. Because if there's nothing that you can get from this podcast, hopefully it's just the relatability. Um, but yeah. Let's see. I think I called it Friday update with so what's great about this podcast mac and is that you're listening to me literally upload the last episode so when this comes out it is literally as i'm adding the other episode before it which is not out as i am speaking so if that isn't like the most uh, raw and uncut podcast you've ever been a part of, um, you're a fucking liar. This is this is truth right here, baby. Um, let's see, that's funny. Do 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 do. I don't see anything else that's trending that's honestly like worth my attention. I guess they have a Starfire, HBO Max. There's already, oh, I guess there's already DC Titans on HBO Max. I don't know shit about superhero stuff anymore. 
All right. Uh, trending is dog shit, or at least for me. Like the for you section specifically is dog shit. Um, but I guess I had a couple things that I saved on my profile specifically to get into. All right. So, um, reported by Vice.com, we had new leaked documents from inside Amazon's Global Security Operations Center. It revealed companies' use of Pinkerton operatives. You know, the old union busting and uh, worker murdering, in some cases, Pinkertons, uh, as old as unions themselves. Um, they use them to spy on workers and the extensive monitoring of labor unions, environmental activists, and other social movements. So this is not necessarily anything new. It's actually been a practice of business owners since, uh, I don't know, like the 1800s. I'm not sure specifically of when the Pinkertons had started, but um, when the state officials or the police won't do it, guess who will? Private Pinkertons. You're goddamn right. So, Vice reports, scroll down, scroll down, very, very beautiful in infographs here. Um, I don't have a specific, okay, it's by Lauren Cowrie Gurley, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, uh, quite an extensive article, actually, and I don't believe that I'm going to read it here for you, because I'm sure it also gets into a bit of the Pinkerton uh, history. Because the Pinkerton history is over 100 years old. But go over to vice.com or go over to my Twitter page and check out this article because it is a good read. Especially if you feel solidarity with the working class, you might as well understand their struggles. Especially when dealing with uh, big enough money that can hire Pinkertons to knock your union busting. Uh, knock your unions down. So that's that's uh, that's hot. Amazon really just keeping up with like the tradition of American capitalism. Um, and then the other thing that was pretty important as far as Monday news goes is President-elect Biden's key picks for his foreign policy team. Uh, he is slowly trickling out the news for his shitty cabinet. His cabinet sucks. It's not anything to be excited for because, um, I don't know, everybody knows it's establishment. Um, and, uh, you know, the first comment right here says, wow, real experienced candidates. Not criminal co-conspirators or unintelligent grifter family members who have destroyed everything. Let the rebuilding begin and let us sleep at night. So that first combat really tells me um, how regressed we actually are. Um, that the status quo is enough to let us sleep at night. Um, I can admit Trump is, you know, I voted for Biden because I found Trump to be a much more dangerous power wielder uh but you know you don't sleep at night just because you voted out a fascist you have to still keep one eye open on neoliberalism because neoliberalism will still steal the rug out from under you and then sell it back to you plus interest so that's you know just an acknowledgement there and to be honest also i am too young to know specifically anything about these people so for secretary of state you have anthony blinken who I had recently heard, so I'm not like well brushed on this, but he was the deputy to the Secretary of State. So he's very, uh, during the Obama era. So he's experienced in, uh, I don't know, uh, Obama, uh, uh, Obama, Obama era uh, 
foreign policy. So there's that. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas for the Homeland Security Secretary. Don't know too much about him. Maybe we should just hit the tabs and get brief summaries on these mofuckas. Should have just copied and pasted their names. Right. Alejandro. Oh, it wants me to look up Alex Jones. My computer knows me so well. All right. So Alejandro Mayorkas. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your name. He was and is currently a lawyer. Um, Wikipedia says he is a Cuban-American lawyer um, because... Uh, did he immigrate here? Why do we even need to know that? If I have a Wikipedia page, are they going to call me a Mexican-American or a Filipino-American or a German-American? Are they going to call me a Jewish-American? Which one is more important? I don't know. Anyways... Um, he's a Cuban American lawyer who served as the deputy secretary of the United States department. Okay. So (laughs) he was also a deputy during the Obama era, um, of the same cabinet that he is being, uh, appointed secretary of. So it seems like the Obama administration is actually just finding people to give promotions to. So, um, you know, Biden is signaling that he's, uh, Obama white. He's, he's white Obama. I'm not a hundred percent sure. It doesn't necessarily feel like a sequel as much as of just kind of a rerun. Um, but you were going to, of course, we're just going to have less like racial division between Republicans and Democrats. And now it's going to be strictly ideology. Um, cause racism is dead in America for sure. For sure. For sure. There's no reason to go out and protest for black lives. Um, and eventually we'll have to like protest in the streets and say like uh, leftist lives matter or something, which not to degrade the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm just acknowledging the fact that there is a subset of Americans who are feeling full contempt against anybody who has left leaning ideology like that's that's the place that we're really heading towards is that if you think outside of the box or left of the box, then you might be an enemy of the state not a not a healthy democracy there um the marketplace of ideas is becoming increasingly monopolized anyways so for the dni we have avril haynes we'll have to click that in the google already forgot their name anvil haynes yep see i spelled it wrong i don't know what the fuck i'm doing let's see here it found me some shirts what was their name Avril, not Anvil. You, fucking... Ugh, I really need a Jamie. I need to be rich enough to have a JV. All right, Avril Haynes, also a lawyer. Yeah, let's just fucking appoint lawyers all in these places, huh? Um, Avril Danica Haynes is an American lawyer and former government official who served as the White House Deputy National Security Advisor uh, during the Obama administration. She also previously served as deputy director of the Central Intelligence Agency, the first woman to hold this position. Hmm. I would be impressed if she wasn't so fucking run-of-the-mill. Anyways, who's next? Everybody's getting promotions. You get a promotion. Uh, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. is going to be Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Come on, brain, remember it. Remember it. Uh, Linda thomas greenfield let's see here 
Linda Thomas-Greenfield is an American diplomat who served as the Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs in the United States Department of State's Bureau of African Affairs from 2013 to 2017. She is a senior counselor at Albright Stonebridge Group in Washington, D.C. So, yet again, Obama era, getting a promotion. Very nice. Um, so yeah, it's just a continuation of Obama, which, you know, honestly less dangerous than uh trump but still uh to be perfectly honest with you it's not really you know progressive if if that's what you're looking for in your politics or if you're looking for left-leaning or if you're looking for um i don't know class conscious you know that's uh we're not we're not heading in that direction we're heading we're heading into the continuation of neoliberalism which is just going to lead to more neo-fascism so i mean you know that's something to look forward to you know i'm not the miss cleo of political predictions but you know i can at least feel the vibrations in the air anyways who's next jake sullivan for the nsa oh the sweet sweet patriot act the sweet sweet patriot act jake sullivan Jake Sullivan is an American government official who is national security advisor designee for president-elect Joe Biden's administration. His Wikipedia page literally just got updated based on his like recent job offer. I think that's funny. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. See, it says 11 minutes ago. That's fucking hilarious. Somebody edited the, the fucking Wikipedia, his Wikipedia 11 minutes ago. I love it. I love it because that that news was this morning. So, then, you know, whatever. Um, let's see where specifically he was a senior policy advisor to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. I think what's very important to notice here is like how small the circle of like, um, I guess, the succession of power is, is because everybody either worked with Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, people that work for Trump right now work for Bush. Like there is a very small circle of succession of power for everybody who is eventually or does now have power. And so he was that he was also the expert. Uh, nope. Uh, deputy chief of staff at the department of state. So there's that. Um, other than that, prior to teaching at Yale, Sullivan worked in the Obama administration as deputy assistant to the president and national security advisor to U.S. Vice President Joe Biden. So, um, yeah, another promotion. Another promotion for the guy. That's hilarious. He, he, uh, he was a part of Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential primary campaign, but after she lost, he became Barack Obama's general election debate preparer team like a member of that team i said that horribly but you you get the gist i think that's very funny because like i said like it's a very small circle of succession of power which you know makes sense but at the same time too like then we know for sure that the status quo will be upheld like the the agenda stays maintained all right climate envoy john motherfucking carry of course. Of course it's John Kerry. And it's like we all buried Al Gore. That's fucking great. That's so great. Of course it's John Kerry, former Secretary of the State. Of course it is. Because why wouldn't it be? Like, this dude has literally just been, like, circulated in and out of every fucking White House position he possibly could be, except for president. What a bitch. All right, sorry. All right. A little, all right, that was a little ad hoc. All right, I, okay, my bad. 
My bad. So, let's see here. Yeah, he was the Secretary of State from 2013 to 2017, and now he's going to focus on climate change. But, uh, climate envoy. Um, but, uh, you know, again, like, uh, just expect the, uh, I don't know, the, what, what did, what did Biden call it? Expect incremental changes. Um, but of course it's still going to benefit the capital. Everything that this country does is in order to benefit the capital. Um, I think Trump is selfishly, uh, and wholeheartedly dedicated only to capital. Um, but you know, hopefully we can bully Joe Biden away from being just capital. And uh, before I get into the piece of the resistance, I have here Militia Watch with the weekly update, which I like to get into. And I think I might do it on Mondays just because militias uh, creep me out. Sure, you can go on like a website and find out how many sexual offenders are around you. But have you gone to a website to find out how many militias are also around you? Anyways... Let's get it to it because I mean they've mainly been really active too since Trump refuses to leave. <sighs> All right, so we have a pretty short weekend update or week update here for the Militia Watch. Uh, check it out at militia.watch, I think .com after that. Uh, but I'll retweet it on mid Twitter, so it is at least archived. Wait, where are you going, bitch? Where are you going? You're getting retweeted, motherfucker. Re. Tweet it. All right. So, uh, the first bulletin here is stop the steal, quote unquote, and the siege of Atlanta. Atlanta has quite the militia activity. That's a thing. It's, there's a lot. And they're on all kinds of sides. It's a very um, wide spectrum of militias down in Georgia. So, Several convergent stop-the-steal mobilizations, including those that involved militias and armed movements, resulted in a four-day affair in Atlanta, Georgia. The story is reported on by multiple journalists, but here are a few key takeaways from the event that weren't as present in the coverage. So we have groipers, militias, proud boys, infowars, and more were all in the same space. This will potentially cause cross-pollination of ideology and membership heading into the near future, but also led to some drama among organizers and their followers. For example, Ali Alexander, a national organizer for Stop the Steal, and its PAC, blows off protester as a hillbilly, likens taking the protester's opinion to losing the republic. So that must have been like a specific event where Ali Alexander wasn't taking... Uh, I don't know, discussion very seriously. Um, the next bulletin says protests involved demonstrations from within the Capitol building. Holy shit. But also moved to the governor's mansion where Nick Fuentes... Oh, god damn it. What the fuck? Uh, apparently Nick Fuentes is a part of the Groiper Army and America First. I knew America First, but the Groiper Army is new to me. And Chris Hill of the 3 Percenter Security Force attacked the Republican governor from far to the right. Wow. They're really trying to push uh, some hard fascism. <laughs> Nick Fuentes is like one of the leading uh, fascist leaders out there. Chris Hill I'm not too familiar with, but glad to make his acquaintance with this week's update. Uh, also, big, big news. Kyle Rittenhouse out on bail and the Black Rifle Coffee Company spat. 
Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, this is all from Militia Watch, so reading on. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old that has become a household name after shooting three demonstrators in Kenosha, uh, oh, they put Washington, nope, Kenosha, Wisconsin, following the police shooting of Jacob Blake, was released ahead of his trial after posting $2 million in bail. Uh, among the donors was the CEO of MyPillow, Mike Lindell. Rittenhouse immediately publicly clarified that he does not regret bringing a rifle to Kenosha, nor does he identify himself as a member of the militia. Earlier in the week, he expressed that he used his COVID-19 stimulus check towards the rifle he wielded in the shooting. So that's good. He, he's like, yo, I got a rifle from Donald Trump. Uh, and I, 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 uh, I shot protesters with it and I'm sure like every libertarian forum and anything further to the right from that jizzed in their pants. Um, there's been like this meme floating around of like a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse where it says, um, how does it feel to have killed people? And he said, I wouldn't know. I've only killed commies. And we can't know for sure if he actually ever said that, but that's the image the caricature, the uh, archetype, the stereotype, all of that. That's what Kyle Rittenhouse is now on the meme sphere. And that's the thing is that when I watch like protest videos as well, you can see in um, the chat a lot of people saying, oh, they better be careful before they get Rittenhoused. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you got to love this place, right? Digging it. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company a veteran-owned and hyper-masculine coffee corporation using guns and grunt-style bound biceps to sell coffee, drew backlash this week after Rittenhouse was pictured wearing a uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company t-shirt. After indicating that they had not, in fact, sponsored Rittenhouse, BRCC drew ire from the armed right who said they would be boycotting the company. You just can't please anybody. You know, you sponsor a killer, people hate you for it. You unsponsor a killer, people hate you for it. What? It's a no-win situation. So, you know, if I was the coffee company, maybe I just wouldn't try to do anything with Kyle Rittenhouse if I wanted to avoid all of that. But obviously, they don't want to avoid all of that. What they actually want to do is pick a side. And they are choosing their side. Because, of course, if you're pro-gun, then you're pro-authoritarianism. Which, you know, eventually authoritarianism, seeing guns as a threat to, like, actual holding of power. That's, you know, why the Second Amendment's around, right? To have your guns against tyranny, right? But guess who's going to end up taking them guns? The authoritarians. Because they see that as a threat to their authority. Alright, moving on. Stocking Mill Coffee Company said they supported Rittenhouse in an attempt to entice BRCC customers and were suspended on Twitter shortly thereafter. Oh my god. There's, uh, I guess right-wing companies are just tripping over each other to sponsor a kid who shot two people. We, we don't even have, like, the, uh, verdict of his case. He literally could go to jail for killing those two people. And he's getting sponsored right now. Wow. And the other thing is, too, is that this probably means, regardless of whatever uh, income or class that he's a part of, but, like, his lawyer is going to be top fucking notch, probably po pro bono, based off of uh, donations. So, that's fucking wild. That is wild. That this country right now, or at least a section of it, is rewarding a 17-year-old for killing people. Yeah. 
This is like ultimately what happens when you do nothing from Sandy Hook. All right. We have another bulletin here from uh, Militia Watch, which I believe is the last one for this week's update before I get into the piece of la resistance. Which this might be an actually shorter episode, depending on whether or not I find more material. But uh, we have Mike Dunn and his Boogaloo boys hitting Richmond. So Mike Dunn's followers and the BLM 757, an armed movement not affiliated with the local BLM movement in Richmond, marched armed through Richmond, Virginia, against a new mandate banning firearms and high-capacity magazines at demonstrations. High capacity here defined as over 20 rounds per magazine. Dunn and a colleague hung a boogaloo flag from the fence of the Capitol building before scurrying from the scene, all filmed by a few journalists. I'm going to click this link here to see if we can watch the video. Check it out on YouTube. I actually changed the YouTube channel. Oop. Before we get into that, I actually changed the YouTube channel to Tox News. So if you go on YouTube, the channel is now called Tox News, and I am getting much more coherent and uh, organized with this shit. Terribly, but doing it nonetheless, okay? So, f fuck you for not believing in me. But if you don't believe in me, why are you fucking listening to this podcast? How did we get here? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just saw me get in here. I was going to change my profile picture, but I guess I'm going to have to do that later when I'm not doing my podcast. But again, I don't have a lot of time. Anyways, let me turn this down here. We have from News to Share, militia activists marching armed through Richmond, Virginia, where guns at protests are illegal. This is the video linked in that article by Militia Watch. Yep, yep, wearing Hawaiian shirts, carrying a boogaloo flag. I mean, I get wanting to be in a group, especially one where you carry guns and look like some off-brand Call of Duty uh, creative, creative characters, but at the same time, like, being a militia member to me is extremely dorky cringe. Like, wow, guys. Wow. Maybe what I'm doing to them is extremely dorky and cringe, but at least I'm choosing to do it by myself, not aligning to any allegiance, and that makes me feel better about it. Because it's very funny for them to be so anti on the state and the government, and then to be so pro into being a part of a group. So... They live in a society, but they feel like the outsiders of it, and so they've come together to where um, internet subliminal iconography and feel like they're a part of a club that not everybody can be into it's dorky it's very dorky and i'm as i'm saying that in this clip that dude has like an ak-74 on his side oh yeah go get them boogies i'm not pro boog i'm not pro boog send down and listen to us. They don't enforce the unconstitutional order. And the city council gets pisses off, pissed off.
He has a tag here that says, I don't believe in anything. I'm just here for the boogaloo. I can't believe that nihilists would overthrow a government for, like, no reason. Honestly. Like, if you're going to overthrow a government, you better have a good fucking reason for doing it. Because even though the government does fail in a lot of ways, it does still support millions of, of, of uh, vulnerable people. So if you're going to overthrow it for nothing, um, I just you know, most sincerely have to tell you to go fuck yourself because there are more important things to do than just Boogaloo, which sounds like, honestly, murder. It just sounds like you want to purge. Oh, yeah, gotta smoke that cigar. Because you know what real badass Americans do? Smoke chodes that look like penises. That's like that's honestly one of my pet peeves of like how much the right wing smokes fucking cigars. And no, the Boogaloo Boys aren't necessarily a part of any ideology, but like toting a gun, talking about your Second Amendment, middle of a protest, smoking a stogie, you scream American dick sucker to me. Got some footage of cops here. They have uh, AR-15s as well, but seem pretty casual about the day. The Boogaloos keep on marching. It seems like there's at least less than 50 of them. Maybe even far less than that. One of them didn't even have a gun. But, like, honestly, too, Boogs, like, do you guys really... With the amount of boogaloos that I'm seeing here, I don't actually imagine them having the numbers to take on uh, the police and the National Guard. Does that dude seriously have an M1 Grand? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I can't cringe even harder that you brought an antique rifle to a fucking assault rifle fight. They got automatic weapons and you brought a semi-auto fucking M1 Grand? What the fuck is wrong with you? Looks clean, though. Looks real clean. <sighs> They're Hawaiian shirts. They all got Hawaiian shirts. Oh, boy. They got no chance. It's a very, like, solemn protest where they just don't say anything. They're just marching, just making sure everybody knows that there's a bunch of Americans who like to dress up and hold guns. And can't wait to actually use them without any uh, repercussions. Except for the, maybe the chance of death. I can't tell how much these people are afraid of dying or more, or just more excited at like society being different. The Boogaloo Boys is a very strange movement to me. Because for a while I had originally thought that they were in it to create a separatist, segregated state. But it seems more of they just want to overthrow the government because they already think it's tyrannical. Which you also have to wonder what side of it they actually think is tyrannical or if they actually see both sides of the Democratic and the Republican Party as tyrannical. But for the most part, it's been very unclear to me. I don't follow any of their forums, so... Let's see, I might fast forward it a little bit because they're just marching. They're literally just marching around quietly. They don't, they don't chant. So they they take a break right here. Visible on Capitol Hill, like four right now, but that's that's all that's visible. 
Not yet, but they're armed. Cop rolls up on a bike. Hey, excuse me, sir. Now, I know you're a grown man and everything, but I am a little concerned. About me up here? Yeah. I'll hold down. I'll hold down. You should be concerned about him because he is clumsy. <laughs> Just a little concerned. Yeah, like I said, somebody fell years and died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a deep fall right there. Yeah, they fell off. They were sitting on it and fell off backwards. That's why we get nervous whenever. It's only like three feet. It's so funny. It's so funny because Boogaloo boys really want to kill cops. I'm sorry. They want to overthrow tyranny. Cops part of that. What's fucking hilarious to me is that this cop rolls up and says, Sir, I know you're a grown adult, but can you get down from there? Somebody fell and died. And then they all get into this weird, polite conversation. What, what, what the fuck is going on? Like, what kind of movement is like, oh, hey, pig, what's up? How you doing? You want some bacon? And then they just let the pig in and hang out with them. It's and then there must be a deep worse. spot somewhere because oh, really? I think somebody yeah. actually, yeah, somebody actually passed away because they fell. Oh no way! Wow. Yeah, it must be deeper there. Here. Magic. This is magical. Okay. This is truly magical. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I don't care about chocolate milk. Chalky. Not a single person said, fuck you, pig. So, like, I honestly don't know the true motivations of the Boogaloo Boys because they honestly, like, just show up when it is most convenient and less, uh, they, I, I don't know. I've never seen or known the Boogaloos to actually risk anything for the sake of their cause. Not that they should or that I want them to. It's just I want to acknowledge the fact that they don't seem to, um, actually be about it. Um, so... I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to expect from a militia movement literally started on the internet. You lead the way left and right. I'm, I'm leaving here. All right, yeah. All right, so now they're going in a bit more of the city area, actually getting pretty close to the cops as they pass them now. Quietly marching, like they have no chance. He flips off the no gun sign. Why did none of them actually just tear down the sign? Like this is, this is such a weird political action. Like it's, I don't know. It's honestly like, it's barely anything. This is the sign I'm talking about. Look how everybody's walking past. That's how we feel about it. That's how we feel about this sign right here. There you go. I think they're going up to raise that flag on the top of that little structure right there. Still, I don't think they've broken any laws except for the, like, since they banned the magazines and the firearms. But for the most part, like... I've seen a lot more action at BLM protests because cops actually 
attack people who aren't armed. Whereas these guys do a very quiet march with loaded machine guns and are left completely alone. Um, probably up until a point. I would say probably up until a point, but so far they're literally just marching quietly, not doing anything. Those of you who want to link up afterwards, get out of the city and message me. Mike, I know you're not going to actually answer my question, but what did you just do? Liberty shall not be in French, Ford. <laughs> Is that all you got? Liberty shall not be in French. Got it. <laughs> I don't I think they might not actually know how to protest enough to get like significant press coverage because I feel like if you have a movement such as well if you have a movement you want coverage like you want to hit sensationalism because that'll spread the movement wide it'll grab people's attention this is extremely quiet like, the only audacious thing is the fact that they did the opposite of what the uh, the ruling of the state was. Uh, and it's still not even... I don't God. I'm going to keep up with the Boogaloo boys, but so far it really just seems ex like perfect for millennials. Like, it started on the internet, and it's also extremely, like, lazy and unmotivated. It's That's millennial as shit. Okay. So we went through that. We got Militia Watch. We got uh, the Pinkertons coming back for a good old Amazon Union work beatdown and spying and all of that. So go check that article out on Vice about the Pinkertons. And I guess what we wrap it up with here is the piece of la resistance, the creme souffle. Let's see. Ooh. Oh, damn it, dude. It's like 30 minutes long. Sydney Powell issues a statement after Giuliani issues, issues uh, announces she is not part of the Trump uh, part of the Trump team because that recently just came out on how uh, she was supposed to be their Kraken and she had like a great amount of uh, legal work ahead of her. And then shortly after that, she uh, came out with a bunch of uh, unsustained conspiracy theories. And then shortly after that, the Trump team just fucking dropped her like Humpty Dumpty off a wall. Dude, I don't see a single... F I don't see her statement in here whatsoever in this video. Did I get lied to? Which is fine because I get lied to a lot. Is this it? As she is not a member of the Trump legal team, nor is she representing the president. Who had the statement? Who had the statement? Was it her? Was it who? Powell and I are more alike than we're different. We're f What the fuck, dude? This is such a misleading video. I'm going to remember this channel. NTD News? What the actual fuck is this? Because it doesn't have the statement from Sidney Powell. It might have, but there's also like a bunch of filler in that fucking thing. 
NTD America on cable. Everywhere Verizon and Frontier Fios are available. Uh-huh. What the fuck is this? <laughs> nice. Dominion. <laughs> Giuliani alleges Dominion director's ties to Antifa. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's an OAN. It's basically like OAN. Okay. Alright, I'm gonna have to come back to this one. It looks extremely low budget and extremely, like, white supremacist. I'm, I'm with it. I am totally with it. I will be back for that for some more. Alright. So I guess here we go. Bon voyage. Let's just get it. Uh, Jordan B. Peterson is fucking back. I am so excited. I am so excited. Jordan B. Peterson, who went through, um, you know, a significant amount of hell, to be perfectly honest with you. He did it all. Uh, he, he went through his uh, whole, uh, uh, you know, drug addict phase. Um, you know, I'm not going to say anything about necessarily any situation that's going on with his family. That's something that he definitely can uh, deal with personally. I just find it very fascinating that the clean your room guy um, had a drug problem. And so I've become increasingly more interested in Jordan B. Peterson's story arc because of that fact. Um, but as soon as he had his return video, which I think came out last month, um, I don't think he's actually changed as a human being. I think he's probably uh, built a mansion on the hill that he wanted to die on, which is um, fundamentalist, capitalist, hyper, hyper fundamentalist, capitalist uh, philosophy that he apparently is turning into a new book. So uh, he's back. And he's telling you to clean your room 12 more times. Let's hear it. I'd like to announce my new book, Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, which I've been working on diligently for the past three years. As of today, the book is available for pre-order in the US, the UK, and Canada. I've linked to some major retailers, including international links for Amazon, in the video's description below. I will not be getting this book. I probably will not read this book. If somebody wants to buy me the book, then I might read it. But I will not pay Jordan B. Peterson to tell me how to live my life. Maybe it would be great if somebody had like a fucking, if we could get like Lance from the Surfs to do an audiobook reading of it, that would probably be worth some gold. Or Cody Johnston from some more news. Either of them reading Jordan B. Peterson. And in his voice, like, I would die. I would die. And I would actually technically read a Jordan B. Peterson book. Only in those circumstances. Otherwise, I'm not touching the fucking thing. I've never had Maps of Meaning. I've never read it. And I've never read 12 Rules for Your Life. I did watch his series on, um, let's see, uh, like, the his whole analysis of Genesis and Exodus surrounding... Um, no, he hasn't gotten into Exodus yet. I think he was just in Genesis. But his whole analysis of Genesis and human consciousness, because, I mean, it was an interesting topic. Very interesting topic. And I think that's probably where he should try to stick to, is more of the um, mythological, um, 
I don't know, archetypes, you know, go into like a Carl Jung bubble rather than focusing in on the politics. But he has become a very political person and has involved himself in places that he necessarily shouldn't be. I feel like he should have stick to, stuck to psychology and not integrated the pol politics into it. But I guess for a lot of people, it's not easy to separate. Like, uh, I don't know. There's a lot probably with me where I can't separate politics from a lot of things that I do, even when it's not involved with politics. So I've also included the link to the Beyond Order page on my website, jordanbpeterson.com, where links to book retailers in different countries will be posted as they become available. Beyond Order will also be published as an ebook and as an audiobook, which I have nearly finished recording. Damn. All formats will be released on Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. Oh, yeah. See, I'm totally going to even forget when that actually comes out. That's so far down the line. I'm not even. Yeah, I don't know. I don't need. I'm, I'm not even going to be able to follow that. Yeah, no. I want to provide you with a sense of the book in addition to announcing its existence. So I thought I would read. I also want to let you, you, you people. You fucking people. I want to let you know that I'm coming in this completely cold. I have no idea uh, what he's about to say. I, I saw that this dropped today and I was like, fuck yeah, potting it. I'm potting the shit out of it. Read you a section from the overture, the introduction, which describes the book's contents in some detail. Beyond order, 12 more rules for life. I like how Jordan Peterson, he is very obsessed with order and uh, avoiding chaos. And I like that his thing is going to be like continually adding rules to your life. And to be perfectly honest with you, he has what like this would make 24 rules for your life. If you want a better book, 48 keys of power, I think is what it's called, right? Uh... 48 Keys to Power or something like that by Robert Greene. Just read Mastery by Robert Greene, honestly. Like, just read Robert Greene because he takes all of his, like, political biases and beliefs in capitalism and kind of just removes it into, like, self-empowerment. Um, Jordan B. Peterson is very obsessed with getting people out of politics and focusing on themselves when, you know, you can, you can do both. You can rub your stomach and pat... You can pat your head and rub your stomach. I Beyond Order... It is simple in some regard. Order is explored territory. We are in order when the actions we deem appropriate produce the results we aim at. We regard such outcomes positively, indicating as they do, first, that we have moved closer to what we desire, and second, that our theory about how the world works remains acceptably accurate. Nonetheless, all states of order, no matter how secure and comfortable, have their flaws. Our knowledge of how to act in the world remains eternally incomplete, partly because of our profound ignorance of the vast unknown, partly because of our willful blindness, and partly because the world continues in its entropic manner to transform itself unexpectedly. <laughs> Furthermore, the order we strive to impose on... <laughs> it's the world's fault we can't have order. Oh man, like it, it's it's very fascinating because like I feel like and it's really a part of uh, Western philosophy is that we're really obsessed with like reining in the bull that is life like this 
bull can be tamed and we shall tame it and anytime that the bull is not tamed well then it's chaos and uh should be uh really reined in or destroyed it's it's a weird obsession and you know that's probably a lot has a lot to do with why i've gravitated towards zen buddhism and taoism is because for the a, a lot of it is you know let it be it's not saying that not do don't do anything but also like you don't want to uh, upset a balance because what I find fascinating too is that when you have so much order I guess it becomes very fragile and the amount of chaos that can then overtake the order is just going to freak people out um, to to have an equal amount of order and chaos is probably not the job of the humans because we're obsessed with order unless you kind of break the the cycle but I've like every time it's uh, very fascinating how obsessed Jordan Peterson is with order and making sure that we do everything that we can to avoid chaos, which seems to kind of fit his story arc perfectly because he went into chaos. He literally went through three or four different um, treatments to knock his drug addiction. And to him, that must have been extremely chaotic because when you're in drug addiction you're not necessarily in control or in order so after him kicking the habit it's time for him to kick the world's habit in of chaos so he's just doubling down on the world can rigidify as a consequence of ill-advised attempts to eradicate from consideration all that is unknown when such attempts go too far totalitarianism threatens driven by the desire to exercise full control where such control is not possible, even in principle. Hmm. I'm getting like a little bit of like contradictory here because how is he saying that without a certain amount of rigidity, without a certain amount of order, it then leads into totalitarianism or authoritarianism, which is like obsessed with actual like full control. I can't tell what he actually wants because if you're going to live in a completely democratic society, you probably have to expect some chaos because you're going to have people with differing uh, points of view, logic, opinion, beliefs. You're going to have all kind. You're going to you're going to live on the spectrum. But in order to have complete order, you have to have that spectrum be very uh, minuscule, minor, and small, like a very small circle. Um, so I. It's so weird that his fear of totalitarianism is also the same fear of chaos. I can't tell what he actually wants or if the contradictory is kind of part of the double think. Um, because we can maybe walk ourselves into authoritarian totalitarianism and still believe that we have some sort of free will or choice. Um, and that could be extremely possible in the technological age. Like, honestly, I don't know. There, there's a lot to that. And I'm, I'm already killing time with my uh, armchair philosophy. So let's, uh, let's get back to it. But I just wanted to point out there that that is really contradictory, paradoxical, and doesn't really make sense. This means risking a dangerous restriction of all the psychological and social changes necessary to maintain adaptation to the ever-changing world. What? And so we find ourselves inescapably Wait. faced with the need to move beyond... The guy who uh, didn't want to call transgendered people 
by their preferred pronouns um, was is uh, is afraid that we won't uh, be adaptable to the emerging world. And I'm pretty sure, like, down to, like, actual biology and science, he denies any existence of transgenderism. I think he's sold only on the idea of biological sex. So, um, yeah, uh, weird. And his uh, fear of Marxism as well, because Marxism, even though it may or may not have been implemented uh, completely in Soviet Russia and all these other places that are failed communist socialist states, even though China is not a failed communist state, it is, I want, in my personal opinion, um, a morphed communist state because it's not the stateless, moneyless society that uh, Marx was talking about in the manifesto. Um, so that being said, he's not willing to adapt the economy or the power structure into a more democratic system such as socialism or communism. So again, he's afraid of being adaptable because that would actually lead into chaos because when you lead into adaptability, you're actually fighting with the unknown also known as chaos. So in order to actually bring order to chaos, you have to travel into the unknown, not cling on to the order that you know, which is unfortunate because he is extremely conservative. Beyond order into its opposite, chaos. Boom. If order is where what we want makes itself known when we act in accordance with our hard-won wisdom, chaos is where what we do not expect or have remained blind to leaps forward from the potential that surrounds us. The fact that something has occurred many times in the past is no guarantee that it will continue to occur in the same manner. There exists eternally a domain beyond what we know and can predict. Chaos is anomaly, novelty, unpredictability, transformation, disruption, and all too often descent, as what we have come to take for granted reveals itself as unreliable. <laughs> You're, you're right. Chaos is unreliable. It is. And, um, <laughs> God, dude, it's just like any, um, yeah, any amount. It's so, man, he's really fucking me up with the double thinking contradictory here because he's talking about actually bringing forth from the unknown, but at the same time, not actually having to do anything with it because then it's a regression from order. He, this book might not make sense. This book might actually be beautiful nonsense uh, coming from a very smart idiot. All right, I can't say that because I don't have any degrees, but I feel like some people can get my gist. Sometimes it manifests itself gently, revealing its mysteries and experience that makes us curious, compelled, and interested. This is Yes, yes, because it's uncertainty, it's unknown. That's like a whole part of discovery. What if, what if, what if they were like, oh, should we travel to the new, to the newfound land? And Jordan Peterson spoke up and said, well, there's, there's a lot of unknown uncertainty over there. I don't know. I don't know. Could be a lot of chaos. And it's like, what are we going to, what are we going to do with that, Jordan? Because if we don't go over there and conquer it, then, you know, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll never discover. We'll never know. We'll never bring order into the chaos. I can't tell how actually like afraid or unwilling he is to face uncertainty unknown. 
This is particularly likely, although not inevitable, when we approach what we do not understand voluntarily with careful preparation and discipline. Other times, the unexpected makes itself known terribly, suddenly, accidentally, so we are undone and fall apart and can only put ourselves back together with great difficulty, if at all. Neither the state of order nor the state of chaos is preferable intrinsically to the other. That is the wrong way to look at it. Nonetheless, in my previous book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, I focused more on how the consequences of too much chaos might be remediated. We respond to sudden and unpredictable change by preparing physiologically and psychologically for the worst. And because only God himself knows what this worst might be, we must in our ignorance prepare for all eventualities. And the problem with that continual preparation is that, in excess, it exhausts us. But that does not imply in any manner that chaos should be eliminated, an impossibility in any case, although what is unknown needs to be managed carefully, as my previous book repeatedly stressed. Whatever is not touched by the new stagnates, and it is certainly the case that a life without curiosity, that instinct pushing us out into the unknown, would be a much diminished form of existence. Okay. What is new is also what is exciting, compelling, and provocative, assuming that the rate at which it is introduced does not intolerably undermine and destabilize our state of being. <laughs> like... <laughs> Bring as much new as you want, as long as it doesn't fuck up what's going on right now. 12 Rules for Life. The current volume provides an explication of rules drawn from a longer list of 42, originally published and popularized on the Q&A website Quora. Unlike my previous book, Beyond Order explores as its overarching theme how the dangers of too much security and control might be profitably avoided. Okay. Because what we understand is insufficient, as we discover when things we are striving to control nonetheless go wrong around us, we need to keep one foot within order while stretching the other tentatively into the beyond. And mm. so we are driven to explore and find the deepest of meanings in standing on the frontier, secure enough to keep our fear under control, but learning, constantly learning, as we face what we have not yet made peace with or adapted to. Mm. It is this instinct of meaning something far deeper than mere thought, that orients us properly in life, so that we do not become overwhelmed by what is beyond us, or, equally dangerously, stultified and stunted by dated, too narrow, or too pridefully paraded systems of value and belief. Which is what wild, because he is sold in, like, Christianity. It is uh, so wild for him to have one foot into Christianity and then one foot into the unknown, which to me, I don't know what he is necessarily talking about, except for the fact that he keeps trying to reappropriate early Bible stories into human beings trying to understand uh, consciousness. But here's the Here's the thing is that uh, the, a lot of the readings that he's having into the Bible is subjective. Like, of course, only like a psychologist really is going to have that kind of interpretation of uh, Genesis, that it's really all about the awakening of human consciousness. But, you know, even that idea is pretty as like old. Like, I, I remember hearing Terrence McKenna talk about it in one of his lectures where the, you know, of course, from the tree of knowledge, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge 
is like the psychedelic experience that brought the human ape into the human being. Um, so it's not necessarily even that original with what Jordan Peterson is talking about when he went over that series. I written about more specifically rule one describes the relationship between stable, predictable social structures and individual psychological health and makes the case that such structures need to be updated by creative people if they are to retain their vitality. What? What? Whose? Like the individuals or the institutions? One describes the relationship between stable, predictable social structures and individual psychological health, and makes the case that such structures need to be updated by creative people if they are to retain their vitality. Okay, so he listened through the years, and rather than taking the far left, which is saying, let's abolish our institutions and rebuild new ones, you know, using bits of the blueprints of the old ones, but mainly bringing in new foundations so that there's a new mission statement going on. He's going more centrist of, we just need to improve the uh, institutions and social structures that we have now. Um, through Probably incremental changes rule two analyzes a centuries-old alchemical image relying on several stories ancient and modern to illuminate the nature and development of the integrated human personality rule three warns <laughs> of the dangers of avoiding the information that was a beautiful sentence i'm going to bring it back creative people if they are to retain their vitality Rule 2 analyzes a centuries-old alchemical image relying on several stories, ancient and modern, to illuminate the nature and development of the integrated human personality. <laughs> Bringing in some hermetic alchemy into that. Alright, I can dig it. See, that's why I think he should have stuck to being more of like a Joseph Campbell, but I guess even Joseph Campbell had some fucked up shit to say too. God, yeah, it's just, everybody's imperfect, whatever. Rule three warns of the dangers of avoiding the information vital to the continued rejuvenation of the psyche, signaled by the emergence of negative emotions such as pain, anxiety, and fear. Are any of these chapters actually linked? Because I mean, like, chapter three sounds like it could have been much closer to what chapter two should have been. Chapter two should be chapter one. Start with the stories of the individual and then get into the structures and the individual's health, and then get into uh, chapter three, uh, and more of the individual feeling fear, anxiety, and how to deal with those. Mm. Hmm. Rule four argues that the meaning that sustains people through difficult times is to be found not so much in happiness, which is fleeting, but in the voluntary adoption of mature responsibility for the self and others. I'm pretty sure that sounds like one of the rules from uh, rules of the from his first book, which also too I'm not really understanding like necessarily how each of these are rules. I feel like he could have just said beyond order twelve topics uh, that I wanted to call rules, but decided these aren't actually rules. Rule five uses a single example drawn from my experience as a clinical psychologist to illustrate the personal and social necessity of attending to the dictates of conscience. 
Attending to the dictates of conscience. To yourself? Or are you talking to like your to a higher self? Because I feel like conscience is then bringing in your morality, right? Is that what he's talking about? Ah, oh, man, he confuses the fuck out of me. Rule six describes the danger of attributing the cause of complex individual and social problems to single variables such as sex, class, or power. So it's just about reductionism? Honestly, and seriously, none of these rules seem very um, intertwined. Rule seven outlines the crucial relationship between disciplined striving in a single direction and forging of the individual character capable of resilience in the face of adversity. It's discipline. He's talking about discipline. Yet again, just read Mastery by Robert Greene. Just skip that chapter and just read a different book. Rule eight focuses on the vital importance of aesthetic experience as a guide to what is true, good, and sustaining in the human world of experience. <laughs> did, did, he, did he say that you should figure out your values or that this book will help you figure out values? Let me rewind that again, because honestly, he uses such beautiful language to mean nothing. Nothing. Well, character capable of resilience in the face of adversity. Rule eight focuses on the vital importance of aesthetic experience as a guide to what is true, good, and sustaining in the human world of experience. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's telling you the importance in the aestheticism, in the materialism, what is the most importance in life, which almost, like, I don't know, that removes, like, any purpose from, like, any faith-based, because the faith-based purely works in the mirage, the, the non-existent, the not here, you know, the mythical. Um, but honestly, looking at aestheticism to find value in life, um, that's... Mm, I guess, but it. I feel like that only will make you uh, cling to life even harder um, and make you more reliant on status quo, on the way things are, habitual. Um, so I think like kind of <laughs> finding value in the unknown, uh, maybe that maybe it works for me and won't work for others, but that's the thing is that um, clinging to the material aestheticism of life. Uh, that's just like, that sounds like consumerism to me. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily going to go that route. If he did that, this would be like an Edward Bernays book. Rule nine makes the case that past experiences whose current recall remains laden with pain and fear can be stripped of their horror by voluntary verbal exploration and reconsideration. Did wait, what rule did he just say that you can get rid of trauma by just talking about it <laughs> yeah it's that simple read rule number nine talk about your trauma and boom you're fixed 10 notes the importance of explicit negotiation to maintenance of the goodwill mutual regard and heartfelt cooperation without which no true romance can be sustained <laughs> that 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 chapter is leftist as fuck but he's avoiding using any actual like leftist term 
so that nobody <laughs> would suspect him because he's so aware of who his base is. He's very aware of that. I mean, he's been on Rogan and Ben Shapiro's podcast how many times? Rule 11 opens by describing the world of human experience in a manner that explains what motivates three common but direly dangerous patterns of psychological response, delineates the catastrophic consequences of falling prey to any or all of them, and lays out an alternative route. Whoa. Again, a lot of just nonsense coming out of this man's mouth. So if you're getting tired of me rewinding it for like a second repeat, hate me for it. I don't care, but I'm going backwards because he throws a lot of jargon into what just sounds like advertisement buzzwords. So he, he honestly sounds like a commercial for uh, Viagra or something like that. Here, let's consideration. Rule 10 notes the importance of explicit negotiation to maintenance of the goodwill, mutual regard, and heartfelt cooperation without which no true romance can be sustained. I went too far, but um, leftism makes good relationships is rule 10. Rule 11 opens by describing the world of human experience in a manner that explains what motivates three common but direly dangerous patterns of psychological response. Okay, um, so earlier he said that we shouldn't be taking issues down to like uh, a single, um, like he he talked about reductionism, not talking about like sex, sexism, racism, classism, uh, not reducing problems to just one or the other. And then yet he also equates um, the human struggle as like three disorders in your brain. opens by describing the world of human experience in a manner that explains what motivates three common but direly dangerous patterns of psychological response, delineates the catastrophic consequences of falling prey to any or all of them, and lays out an alternative route. Hmm. Rule 12. This is an ambitious book trying to, I don't know if he's writing out how to overcome anxiety, fear, and, and depression. Um, but that's a lot of uh, work for a conservative fundamental capitalist to hold upon his shoulders. Atlas, you do not have to hold that world. You, you can shrug and just walk away from it. Finally, makes the case that thankfulness in the face of the inevitable tragedies of life should be regarded as a primary manifestation of the admirable moral courage required to continue our difficult march uphill. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying, is he says a whole bunch of beautiful nonsense just to say, count your blessings. Be thankful for what you have. And yet he fills it in with just a bunch of buzzwords rhetoric to sound like a smart man with PhD. Oh, man. He's funny. He's a funny man. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's funny to me. I hope that I am somewhat wiser in my explication of this second set of 12 rules than I was four years ago when I wrote about the first dozen. Not least because of the informative feedback I received in the course of my efforts to formulate my ideas for audiences around the world, in person, on YouTube, and through my podcast and blog. I hope, in consequence, that I have managed to clarify some of the issues that were perhaps left less than optimally developed in my previous work as well as presenting much that is original. 
Finally, I hope that people find this book as helpful personally as they seem to have found the first set of 12 rules. It has been a source of immense gratification that so many people have reported drawing strength from the thoughts and the stories I have had the privilege of bringing forth and sharing. That was the second half of the overture from Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life. Once again, the book in all its forms will be published March 2nd, 2021. Links for pre-sale are posted in the description below. Thank you, from the bottom of my heart, for your interest in and support of my work. That's funny, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I guess it's interest. It's not It's not support so much as interest. Um, just because he's a thought leader, he uh, he leads thoughts. And uh, speaking of thoughts, there's a bunch in his comments. Oh, so uh, Michaela Peterson, you know who, uh, got, she said go dad, and she got 6.9 thousand likes. Very nice. Um, Orc Corp said second best news this year. The best news was that Dr. Peterson and his family is okay, at least relatively healthy. Again, wish the book outsells all the others. Solving the money problem says this book will break records and change lives. I like how we're mostly obsessed with health, uh, with, uh, sales here. Um... The Verge Remnant says, I return to you now at the turn of the tide. Quote, Jordan Peterson the White. So, apparently Jordan Peterson's second coming is equivalent to that of uh, Gandalf. Uh, the probability that I'm going to order this book is, like, insanely high, man. And that's that. The King has returned to reclaim Pride Rock. <laughs> uh, I wonder who was Scar in this circumstance. Was it the drugs? <laughs> I am a simple crustacean. I see King Lobster. I click. I don't see like a single uh, critical thought in here. Like there's no analysis here. Nothing but bowing down to bowing down far enough to suck some dick. Um, 2020. I am the only bad news. Uh, Dr. Peterson, hold my dominance hierarchy. All right, that was a very nerdy joke. This comment, more of Jordan Peterson's wisdom. Shut up and take my money. Yeah, because wisdom should definitely cost money. Um, whoa, what an announcement. A ray of sense and hope in a crazy world. Can't wait. He looks like he needs rest, but he's a man with a purpose. And if this is the medicine he needs, fair enough. Get ever better, Jordan. Peterson looks like he's starting to turn the corner on regaining himself. I'm typically not an emotional person, but I about shed a tear hearing this news. Not because I get a new book, but because Dr. Peterson is again in a state where he can spread his counsel across the world. This may be a strange thing to say, but it sounds like his voice is in better shape than I ever, ever heard. Hmm. A hero for our time. When the student is ready, a teacher appears. All right, well, that was a very cliche quote, but I, I, I understand the vibe. Wow, a year ago, he had a conversation with Milo Yiannopoulos. Jordan Peterson, meeting with Milo Yiannopoulos. Oh, 
Oh, why did I not find that till now? Um, let's see. Hopefully the next one will be Beyond Joyder and Peterson. Jesus Christ. That dude just called Jordan Peterson Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Jordan Peterson might actually be able to make himself president of Canada. You know, if he, I, I don't know if he has like the same level of cult of personality in Canada that he does in America with the right wing conservatives, but oh boy. Antidote to chaos. Clean your room. Beyond order. Leave your room. Now that professor has returned, I won't feel so bad when 2020 gives us December 32nd. <sighs> I've been parent during this weird time without your presence. No one was so missed. 12 rules to bring them all, and in the darkness, bind them. <laughs> it's actually 24 rules to, to, to bring them all. There's a lot of Lord of the Rings references in this comment. And by a lot, I mean two. And that, I mean, that makes sense, because Tolkien was also, like, super Christian, wasn't he? So, um, he was shocked by the unknown that his wife could and would eventually die. Jesus. It was not ignorance, it was attachment. We all know that all things change and all living things die. Where is the unknown in that? It is hard to accept for sure. He who can't will drive himself insane by his need to control or despair over his attempts, attempts futility. As described by Marcus Aurelius, man who has lived to the age of 40, has already seen everything that has ever come to pass and everything that would come to pass. Jesus Christ. Here's the full quote. And further it, rational soul, tra 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 traverses the whole universe and the surrounding vacuum and surveys its form and it extends itself into the infinity of time. This is a horrible sentence, and I need to restart it. I am so sorry. This is a horrible fucking sentence, and it is a run-on fucking sentence. I don't know Marcus Aurelius, but if he doesn't know how to write a fucking paragraph, then he needs to figure it out, because this is shit. But here we go. And further, it traverses the... Oh, God damn. And further, it traverses the whole universe and the surrounding vacuum and surveys its form and it extends itself into the infinity of time and embraces and comprehends the periodical renovation of all things. And it comprehends that those who come after us will see nothing new, nor have those before us seen anything more. But in a manner who... He in a manner, he who is 40 years old, if he has any understanding at all, has seen by virtue of the uniformity that prevails all things which have been and all that will be. I don't know how um, fucking arrogant and ignorant you have to be to think that by 40 years old you will see literally everything that life has to offer. Because if, if that is true, you're, either your curiosity has died or you've gone blind. Um... Mainly because there's no possible way for someone to get the entirety of life in 40 years. Um, because there's always more. There's always more. And especially if your life has been super exciting and you've never met uh, the mundane, then you better get prepared, motherfucker. Because I've heard for adventurous, exciting people, the mundane might kill. 
Oh, man. Um, this person said Jordan Peterson is the most important living human being today. Just, I'm just going to end it right there. I'm, that's it. That's the podcast. Jordan Peterson, most important man living today. There is no other person more important than Jordan Peterson, who disappeared for over a year and a half, and the world did absolutely nothing about it. Man. This was a good day, because I didn't have to get too much into the bullshit. I was just so excited to see that JBP was back with 12 more fucking rules for my disorganized, chaotic, son-of-a-bitch life. Like, fuck yeah, dude, tell me how to live. Fuck yeah. There's nothing better than, like, uh, uh, right-wingers who love individual freedom crowding around being told how to live. It's fucking fantastic. I love it. I love it. There's absolutely nothing toxic to expect from a thought leader. Absolutely nothing as he comes out with another book on the coattails of recovery. So that has been the talks of news today. Um, this episode will hopefully be uploaded by tomorrow. <laughs> Doubt it. Um, but other than that, um, hit me up on the Twitter at as a wave, A Z A W A V. Find it on the Twitch talk streaming, find it on the YouTube talks news. It's, it's, it's finally there. It says it. It's no longer poor, dumb rebel. Oof, poor, dumb rebel. It's actually talks news. I fixed it. I did it. Been putting in that work. And then I got some writings, poor, dumb rebellion.net. Um, I do need to work on that a little bit more. But that is for people who have time. And when I have time, you will know. You will fucking know. Editing some shit right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, click that save button right there. Um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty pretty good Monday news day. Um, Trump is still attempting a coup, so that hasn't changed. And the right wing is still attempting to uh, help him and cover it up. So that's, that's cool. It's cool, you know? You know, hopefully... Uh, Hopefully they fail really hard. <laughs> uh, Media Matters just reported that Steve Bannon attacks Bill Barr, asking, where's DOJ? Where's FBI? Where's some investigations? Um, Steve Bannon being a, a arsonist who got uh, Donald Trump in office and who for some reason still has a podcast on YouTube. So, yeah. He's, he's still out there doing his thing, his uh, Alex Jones, Rush Limbaugh thing. It's out there. Um, but other than that, I gave you the plugs. Um, I will be back next time probably with some right-wing narrative thread to go untwine. But uh, for now, it's just celebration of Jordan B. Peterson telling more people how to live their lives with 12 more rules that maybe weren't necessary. But I thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful, beautiful life. If not, um, try harder, I guess is what Jordan Peterson would say. Oh no, my outro music done disappeared, bro. Ooh, this isn't going good. This isn't going good at all. How can I play you out without my fucking music? But, uh, oh. That's not the right song either. I don't even know what song this is. Oh, jeez.
my podcast just like keeps hitting like higher and higher qualities. I someday will be virtually unstoppable with how much I got my shit together. But until then, uh, it is not together, and I don't believe it ever will be. The streaming must end because the uh, music must begin. No flagging. No flagging. Goodbye, stream. And to you at the podcast, um, love yourself. And don't let Jordan Peterson tell you anything.